and welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Coming up on the show, going to talk about a couple things a little bit later. Want to talk about the Yankees. Are they still baseball's best franchise? So we'll get into a little baseball a little bit later in the show. Also, the government, Capitol Hill, talking about UFOs. Is the truth out there? Do you believe? I've got uh, an idea that perhaps you may not have heard of before as to what this could possibly be or what is actually out there. And we'll uh, talk about that a little bit later as well. But first, it's always a sad day when you hear about somebody who passes away. So I'm driving in my car down the interstate and I'm listening to uh, satellite radio, 90s on 9. Don't listen to it too much, but as I'm scrolling through and looking for something to listen to, a song pops up from the 90s that I liked, and so I listen to it. When the song comes to a close, it fades out, downtown Julie Brown. Remember her? She comes on with a solemn announcement, which is kind of rare because she's a beat. And she announces the death of Sinead O'Connor at the age of 56. So as I process that, I think to myself, nothing compares to you. The song that she did, the cover song, Prince's cover song, is the only thing I can think of that she's known for, at least in my world. And so I had to do a little bit of research to find out what else she had done. And then I did recall that... On Saturday Night Live, she ripped up a picture of the Pope, which I guess was scandalous at the time. And, and of course, she's known for her, you know, shaved head. But nothing compares to you was the only thing that came to mind as to what she had done. I guess she recorded 10 albums. I believe she did win a Grammy for Best Alternative Album or something like that, or won an award. So there's that. But there wasn't a whole lot else unless you were probably a diehard fan of hers or more than just a casual music listener. Outside of that, I don't think there was a whole lot. And then shortly after that announcement, a couple days later, you've got the announcement that one of the, um, Meisner, one of the leading or founding members of the Eagles, passes away. And I guess he was with the Eagles for a short time. And in the 70s, really, and then had a falling out with some of the members and had some health issues that kept him from touring. But Randy Meisner, a founding member of the Eagles, passed away. I guess he did the vocals for Take It to the Limit. And so his legacy is founding the Eagles. Hotel California became one of their iconic marquee songs. In fact, behind the camera, if I was able to turn it around, I have a tapestry hanging on the wall of Hotel California. Right next to it is one from the Scorpions. So it became pretty iconic what the Eagles did, and he was a founding member. And then I started to think, they come in threes, right? At least that's what the saying was. So who was going to be next? Going back, I decided to see who else died in 2023. You know, Tina Turner recently passed away. Of course, she was 83. And Jim Brown, the football great, was 87. Not sure if you're familiar about Richard Belzer, but he was like on Law & Order, SVU, and some other things. He was uh, 78. Raquel Welch was 82. And then you come to Lisa Marie Presley, 
she was 54. And then Tony Bennett was 96. And so when you take a look at some of these, and there's a whole lot more, unfortunately, who have passed away. Some people I didn't recognize that I guess were celebrities and uh, musicians, people that weren't in my world of interest. But when you take a look at some of these names, you look at them and you're like, okay, it makes sense. Everybody at some point has to move on from this life. A lot of them live to be to an older age, one where we would assume that, okay, it makes sense that their time here on earth was done. You know, Tony Bennett, 96, that's a long life. Raquel Welch, 82, Tina Turner, 83. doesn't dismiss the fact that their loss is sad and grief is going to set in for those who are fans or family members or loved ones. But when you take a look at some of this, you start to think about what's left behind, How did they impact somebody's life? What do you remember them by? Sinead O'Connor, for me, was just one song. Obviously, Tina Turner, more songs out there. Richard Belzer, like I said, was, you know, Law & Order SVU. I believe he was also in, uh, had a brief cameo in the movie Fletch with Chevy Chase. Raquel Welch, iconic. Tony Bennett for his music. Lisa Marie Presley, obviously the... Presley family name, and then was married to Michael Jackson for a little bit. Michael Jackson died at the age of 50. And then you think about those people that took their own lives. Robin Williams in 2014, Kurt Cobain in 94, Naomi Judd in 2022. And then what I found interesting was Ernest Hemingway, the author. He was a Nobel Prize winning author, Pulitzer Prize winning author, took his own life at the age of 61. And then I believe it was his granddaughter, Margot Hemingway, took her own life, suicide, became the fifth person in the Hemingway family to commit suicide. And as you go through all this, you start to wonder, you know, what is it that they left behind? How did their life impact others? How do you remember them? I think about, uh, in fact, I think it's today, uh, the 30th of July, as I do this show. A friend of mine, Phil, Michael passed away. Apparently got bitten or stung by a, a beetle in Nepal. Got sick in Nepal. Eventually got well enough to come home. And then ended up in the hospital and passed away on July 30th, a number of years ago. And when you look at his life, because I made a remember video a long, long time ago with a lot of the pictures and as the pictures scroll through, it popped up on my social media feed as a, you know, history or a memory, what happened on this day. And as the videos were playing and the pictures were going through, you got to see what he did with his life. He was quite the adventurer. His goal was to summit the highest mountain on each continent. Of course, Mount Everest would have been the creme de la creme. But not only did he want to go up and then back down, he wanted to go up and over Well, the overside belongs to China, and he was having a hard time getting permission to enter Chinese territory, so he was putting it off. But then he unfortunately got sick and passed away. And I remember when I got the phone call, and a friend of mine, a mutual friend, sent me a text, actually it was a text, and said that he was in the hospital. He had gotten sick over in Nepal, but he was in the hospital, and things were going to be okay, but just want to let me know. I was on my way on a family vacation. I was heading out of town. 
when I got the text, I said, okay, just keep me posted and I'll check in, maybe visit him when I get back. And then a couple days later, I get the text again that he passed away. Apparently something happened, something went wrong and he passed away. And when you look at his life and the life that he led, he had a big impact on a lot of people, not from a celebrity perspective, but the work that he did. He was in the process of starting a school in Nepal for the children there that then was completed upon his death by some other friends and acquaintances. And then he had some other stuff that he did in other parts of the world where he would frequently visit on his adventures. And it makes you wonder that with something like that that happens at a young age too, what life would be like today if that had not happened? You know, you take a look at some of the people that died, like I mentioned Michael Jackson earlier at the age of 50. What do you think he would be doing now? And what type of music would he have put out there? What are some of the things that we've missed out on because of the death of some of these people that are younger? I mean, you take a look at Kurt Cobain taking his life at 1994. I mean, he revolutionized, at least his band did, music, that grunge music. What kind of music would he have put out? What kind of influence would he have had? He had a huge influence while he was here. And then you think about Robin Williams. What kind of comedy projects? What kind of movies would he have put out there? You think about Dead Poets Society amongst the many that he had out there. Maybe Jumanji. Maybe some others. Obviously Mork and Mindy. But what do we miss out on when people pass away at a younger age? Another friend of mine, Bruno, got sick, gave me a call in June a number of years ago. It was June when I got the call, and he said he was sick, had cancer, lung cancer, didn't smoke, but somehow got cancer, and wanted to talk about it, and so we're trying to process this idea of dealing with cancer. And so I looked up what he had and it was stage four and it said the half-life or the life expectancy was six months. And sure enough, six months later, December, New Year's Eve, get the call that he passed away. And again, what kind of legacy did he have? Well, he didn't have the legacy of these celebrities, but the lives that he impacted in his surroundings were huge. I remember I would used to drink monster energy drinks. This was back when they were the blue and the green. Now I drink the white ones. But uh, I didn't have one. I used to have one almost every day. And I was working at the radio station is where I met him, the sports station. And one day I did not have one for whatever reason. And so he comes in. He's like, hey, where's your energy drink? So I don't have one today. So he's like, okay. Hangs out for a little bit and then he leaves. And after the show, I go back to my desk and there's a note on the desk that says, check the kitchen refrigerator and the crisper. So I go to the crisper, look in the refrigerator, and there's a Red Bull. He had gotten me a Red Bull. And then every once in a while, there'd be Red Bulls popping up in my desk or a note showing me where to go to get one in the fridge or something. And that kind of developed our friendship, just something starting out as simple as that. And again, we worked at the same radio station. His desk was outside the studio, so he would pop in every once in a while just to say hi and, you know, kill some time. But then his legacy, when you started to listen to other people and how he impacted their lives, it wasn't anything tremendous as what you might think a philanthropist would do or somebody with a lot of money that leaves a legacy behind them. 
but it was the impact that he had on each person individual that catered to that person's individual needs. And it was pretty tremendous. And then from there, there was a couple times we'd go hang out at this place in Eagle Rock, California, called the Chalet, a quiet little place, and we'd go hang out and talk, share things about life, exchange views and ideas. Just like Phil, there'd be times we'd go get something to eat. He was a big uh, hot wings guy, so we would try different hot wings places around Burbank. California and other places, and we just pontificate life. You know, didn't believe the same things. He was from Canada, Phil Michael was. Obviously, we had different different ideas of politics, religion, but we didn't sit there and fight and argue and bicker. We would sit there and talk and share and learn, learn from each other. A lot of things I learned from him. Hopefully, there were some things he learned from me, and we were able to grow in our friendship, in our relationship, and have a positive impact. In fact, a funny story was, um, again, he was from Canada. He's been traveling the world, got connected with him to put him on the radio show to talk about his adventures in Nepal during uh, Mount Everest time because, again, he was over there, and he was trying to do the Mount Everest climb, but he was waiting on some Chinese officials to give him the permission, again, to go up and over. And so we got him on a couple times to describe what was going on in Mount Everest. He would call from a sat phone. It's actually pretty cool. And again, so that's how the relationship developed. So he comes, and again, like I mentioned, he was a hot wings guy. And so, of course, at the time, Hooters was one of the biggest hot wings places around, right? We had to go try it, get those wings. So one time we're there, and he's trying it, and he wasn't the biggest fan of it. So it was a one and done, and we had to go find other places. But while we were there, he wanted this kind of funny story. While we were there, he wanted to take a picture of him and I because he would document his life on social media. And so... He asked the waitress, hey, can we take a picture? So she starts to primp herself as if she's getting ready to have her picture taken. And he's like, no, no, no. Can you take our picture of me and him? And she got a little flustered and was like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And took the picture. So it's kind of funny. We had a big laugh about that. And that kind of set the tone for the rest of our relationship. But when we pass away, what is it that we want people to remember us by? What is our legacy going to be? You hear that term, legacy. It's basically what it is that you're going to be remembered by. Could be the good, could be the bad. Your legacy can depend upon different things, what you do with your life, how you impact others. You could have a good legacy with this group over here, not so good with this group over here or these people. So it varies. There's not one thing that really defines a person's legacy. It could be, Accolades and trophies. You know, Jim Brown, an athlete. A lot of people like to be remembered because they're in the Hall of Fame or because they were the MVP or they have so many home runs or so many touchdown passes. And that's why they're remembered. Others, it could be more like Mother Teresa, maybe Gandhi. Not perfect people, but their legacy is something of helping other people. Martin Luther King Jr. and civil rights. For you and me, it might be something different. We might not have the impact as great as some of these people have. But if you're an educator, if you're a mentor, if you're a coach, in your sphere, do you impact your coworkers? Do you impact your students, the players on your team? How will they remember you? And sure, it's not an easy road because... 
we have all kinds of ups and downs, especially nowadays. One moment you guys can be getting along, and the next moment somebody says something, and all of a sudden now there's issues. But what is it? And if you think about it, how short is it? You know, there's a saying, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. A good man, out of the good treasures of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasures of his house, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We've talked about that several times on the show. What's on your heart is going to come out. It starts with your heart, then goes to your thoughts, and then comes out. So if you have goodness, good treasure, as the saying goes, on your heart, you're going to do good. If you have evil treasure in your heart, it's going to be evil that comes out. So what is it that you want to do? Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honor. So as many sayings, Proverbs, and this happens to be a proverb, whoever pursues righteousness, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honor, a proverb there. But again, life is short. We don't have a whole lot of time. Here is uh, Billy Graham talking about that one short life that we live. What a thing it is when you think that you have just one short life to spend and it will soon be over. I'd write down my priorities in life and I'd get committed to certain priorities. Now is the accepted time. The things we ought to do, the classes we ought to take, the books we ought to read, do it now. The family that needs you, spend more time now. Write that letter home now that you've been meaning to write. Money you ought to give, give now. Time for study, do it now. People you ought to witness to, do it now. Every time the clock ticks, it seems to say now. Today, if you will hear his voice. There may not be a tomorrow for you and for me. Because there's a warning to time. Time is running out for all of us. Time is too short for indecision and vacillation. Do not halt between two opinions. Fools say that time is long. Every morning we have 86,400 seconds to spend and to invest. And each day the bank named time opens a new account for you and for me. It allows no balances and no overdrafts. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. 86,400 seconds, how do you invest? You notice the emphasis of do it now. now. I talked about Phil Michael a little bit ago and how he was sick in the hospital. I got a text message, and I couldn't go see him immediately because I was on my way out of town on vacation, and I thought, according to the information that I had received, that I would be able to you know go visit him after I got back because it appeared as if he was going to be okay, but it was not. And I was never able to go see him. A guy that I worked with when I was working in radio back in uh, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, his name was Charlie. He was a program director. And this was before the days of social media, really. And so he moved on to another job. 
And eventually, later in life, we reconnected. He had told us many times that he was a camera operator for CBS News, working the D.C. circuit, and that he was there the, the day Ronald Reagan was shot. And so I was sitting watching a documentary one time, and we had already kind of connected via Facebook a number of years ago, and I was watching this documentary, and sure enough, they showed the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan, and there he is, Charlie, the guy that I used to work with. So I took a snap of it and sent it to him. I said, hey, you recognize this guy? And that kind of opened up a little bit more of a reconnection. Well, so then we start working on some projects together. He's a part of a radio station on the East Coast. And so I start sending him some shows that they're going to air on his radio station. And I get an email from another person at that radio station saying that, you know, if you are sending shows to Charlie because he would upload them into the system, uh, please send them to somebody else because he's in the hospital. He seems to be doing well. In fact, he's still working on stuff as far as the radio station goes, as far as inputting information and monitoring things, because you could do that nowadays with the laptop. And if you want to give him a call to see how he's doing, here's his number. So I was like, okay, you know, replied, thank you. And it was an email that went out to a bunch of people that were kind of outside the radio station, uh, outside the living area, because there was a lot of people that would send stuff to this radio station. And so I thought, you know, I'll give him a call here and and let him uh, just kind of see how he's doing. And so I sent an email. Hey, how's it going? You know, I just want to make sure that, you know, he was okay, take calls. And sure enough, he responds, you know, hey, hit me up. We're good. I'm just working on some stuff here. Everything's going well. You know, just make sure you continue to send your show to this other guy. And so we had a communication, and it sounded like everything was going well. So I thought, okay, yeah, we'll connect in a, in a couple, couple days. Do it now. Next email I get, something happened. He died in the nighttime. Complications of something. No longer can I make that phone call. He's not here. And there's a few other stories like that of people that I've kind of connected with. But the point that Billy Graham was saying is do it now. There is no promise of tomorrow. There is no promise of any future. Sure, we have to plan our future. Because we have to plan on living. There's a clip earlier in that that Billy Graham talks about that the average lifespan is about 70 here in America. For women, it's about 73. For men, it's about 70. And that's something that God promises. God promises about 70 years. Now, he knows the number of days, and he might give us more like Tony Bennett, 96. Both my grandmothers lived to be well into their 90s. Other family members, there's a couple ancestors like great-great-grandparent type things that live to be 100. And then you get others that pass away at 56, like Sinead O'Connor or Lisa Marie Presley at 54. We don't know the number of days that we have. But what are we going to do to impact others and live our life to the fullest? But whatever it is we got to do, do it now. Don't put it off for tomorrow. Don't make that phone call tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't come. For me, I missed out on a couple opportunities to maybe have one last conversation in person or on the phone with somebody because I put it off thinking that tomorrow I could do it because it seemed like everything was going to be okay. But then it wasn't. So do it now. During the pandemic, how many of us lost people? How many of us had to 
miss graduations, miss birthday parties, miss anniversaries, family gatherings, whatever it might have been that you missed out on. We didn't expect that. It was two weeks to flatten the curve. Turned out to be two years of missing out on life. That could happen again. Don't put it past your government. We need to do things now. How can we do that? Well, we can, one, recognize the world's needs and respond to them with compassion and action. The people around us, what are their needs? And we can respond with passion and action and compassion. And then help others to be better stewards of the gifts that they have and their abilities. Talking about bringing out your inner greatness, raising the standards so you can inspire and motivate others to do the same thing. That's what we can do to help others to be better better stewards of the gifts and abilities they have by being the example for them. And then we recognize their needs with compassion and action. That's why this show is about passion, success, greatness, motivation, inspiration, mindset, and the lifestyle. Those are kind of the hashtags that I use when I'm tagging things on social media. And there's a reason for that because those are the type of things that I strive to, to live for. Those are those things I try to inspire upon and impress upon other people. Now, real quickly, there's the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure you've heard about it. It's a biblical story. A man on his way from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers, beat up, and they left him for dead. Now, a priest happens to walk by on the same road, sees the man, and decides he doesn't want to get involved. So he passes on to the other side of the street and carries on his own way. Then a Levite, another religious-type person, came to the same place and saw the man beaten half to death. And he passes to the other side of the road, crosses the street, and carries on his way. But a Samaritan, now the significance of the Samaritan and the guy from Jerusalem going to Jericho, we take that he's Jewish. At the time of this story, Jews and Samaritans did not get along very well. There were some issues, maybe like Democrats and Republicans in the American political system today, maybe liberals versus conservatives, if you want to put it into modern day. But here, a Samaritan, as he's traveling, comes across the man and takes pity upon him, and he bandages his wounds, pouring oil and wine on the injury. Then he puts the man on his own donkey and takes him to an inn and asks them to take care of him. The next day, he takes out two denarii, or some money, gave to the innkeeper, and says, continue to look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So which one of these is, or I should say, which one has the greater impact, the greater legacy? The treasure in the heart is coming out with the Samaritan but the evil treasure in the heart of the priest and the Levite, religious people, not. We should be like the Samaritan. Go and do likewise, like the Samaritan, and do it now, because the impact that we have is short. Tomorrow is not promised. 86,400 seconds in a day is what we have. What are you going to do with those days? Those seconds, those hours, those minutes, however you break it down. Are you going to allow the good treasure on your heart to come out and be like the good Samaritan and have an impact? 
recognize the world's needs and respond to it with compassion and action. You're going to help others be better stewards of the gifts and abilities they have. Bring out your inner greatness. Raise your standard. Climb to a level of success so that others, when they see you, they're inspired and motivated to do the same thing. And now you're starting to see a legacy take hold that you may never know about. It may never have the accolades and trophies of an athlete or the Hall of Fame like musicians and other people. But the legacy you leave will be far more impactful for generations to come. Go and do likewise. So Congress, talking UFOs. Uh, you might be familiar with that. The X theme or X Files theme. The truth is out there. Mulder and Scully seeking the truth. I actually enjoyed X Files. I'm not one to believe in in uh, aliens as we traditionally think. But I do got a take on this that you might not have heard. You might not agree, but you might not have heard either. So we've seen the movie like Aliens. Or then you've got E.T., so aliens is more of like a, a, a foreign entity that's going to, like, eat you, right? Kill you. Destruction. Predator, the same way. Then you have E.T., a little more family-friendly alien or ALF, alien life form on TV. And then you've got other shows, like I mentioned, The X-Files and Falling Skies. Never saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Is it any good? but it was one of those first movies that was talking about aliens, right? Or maybe the TV show V, that old one, where there were lizards with human skin. But they all have common themes. The aliens, the people from out there, always are going to come to invade Earth. They always have superior intelligence and technology. Their goal is to conquer humans. You know, they're mostly a non-human entity but they do take on human characteristics right maybe you see them with like two arms and two legs and kind of like a torso maybe their head's a little bit bigger and they got big round bug eyes or like i said in the show v they were lizard type people but they took on human form or maybe like predator even though it was like a monster looking thing still had a humanistic characteristic obviously because the character has to play them right humans have to play the character but you know you get what i mean so we have the stereotype of what aliens are like so the government's having hearings on ufos now ufos unidentified flying object that could be anything okay so not too worried about the ufo designation but apparently some whistleblower came out and said that the u.s government has a non-human biological entity that it has captured What could it be? 
is intelligent life out there from another galaxy? If you recall back in 1947, I believe it was Roswell, New Mexico, something crashed on a rancher's land. That started the whole UFO phenomenon. In fact, Roswell is full of UFO paraphernalia and seekers and all that. Okay. So the government, I guess, allowed for this alien idea to run rampant. And I've read it in many different places, but I will credit the Smithsonian Magazine because the Smithsonian Museum is a historical type of museum, right? Got the Spirit of St. Louis and a bunch of other things there. Well, they did a story on this, and it kind of confirmed what I had heard in other different places that in 1947, the U.S. had some sophisticated state-of-the-art spying equipment that was sent high in the sky, like via weather balloons or these big balloons, and it was supposedly audio equipment to spy on, like, Russia, for example. So whatever it was, apparently it was United States top-secret spying equipment that actually crashed. And because it was new technology in 1947, and plus there was nothing, you know, no internet to look up things, no, was the, was the Encyclopedia Britannica around? Probably. Did they have these pictures in them of this type of technology? Probably not. So, again, they ran with the story of UFOs, and the government allowed the UFO story and the alien story to replace the fact that they were really spying on another country. And so, um, eventually, that became debunked over the years. Now, here's something that you might not have heard, okay? So a lot of expert opinions or experts that have opinions on is there life out there, most of them will say yes, there is intelligent life out there. They really don't have specific evidence, and you can do the research yourself. I'm not debunking it. We're just having a conversation because I think it's fascinating. I have conversations about UFOs. I don't believe in them. I don't believe in little green men coming from other places like the stereotypical belief but there could be something out there, and this is what I want to get to. So experts and their opinions say that there's probably something out there, although we really don't have a whole lot of concrete evidence, but there's probably something out there because of the vastness of the universe. How can there not be? The universe is so great. We see a lot of things out there through the advancement of technology, so there's got to be something. So, yes, I believe there is something out there. I'm just not sure what, and there's no concrete evidence, but, yes, is there something out there? I would say yes. And then there's a few that say no. Because there is no evidence. They're scientists and there is no factual, hands-on, tangible evidence. So it goes back and forth. Okay. So one time I was driving in Utah many, many years ago. And it was late at night. And if you've ever been through Utah late at night, there's nothing there. I mean, you can see stars as far as the eye can see. And off in the horizon, there was something floating. thought it was a star. And then all of a sudden it started to move in some unfamiliar patterns. Again, I don't believe green men coming from outer space are there, but it was something. Who knows what it was, but it was pretty fascinating to watch. It would dance around in the sky. Thought it was a plane at first, but again, it did take on some unusual patterns, but, you know, eventually the stealth bomber came out, so maybe it was something like that. I don't know. I don't really care. But I was fascinated by it because it was entertaining, driving late at night in Utah, for one, and two, it was pretty spectacular. It was just kind of fun to keep an eye on as you're going down this you know, dark highway with nobody else on the road. And so that was kind of my only experience with seeing something like that, but I'm sure there was an explanation for it. But what about this? What if these aliens or these things that we see out in space 
that we can't define, that we don't know? What if they're actually angels? I mean, the Bible talks about the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the sky, the sunset, the stars, and so on. The constellations all have a a story. And if God created all things, he would have had to have created these life forms out there. Dr. Hugh Ross, an astrophysicist, you can find his information at uh, reason.org, reason.org. But he had a conference where he was talking about what UFOs might be. And this is something that I heard him say that kind of makes sense. If you want to believe, you can believe what you want, but it kind of makes sense. But it also poses an ulterior theory as to what people might be seeing. We think little green men, we think, you know, maybe something from the movies, whatever it is, that's one perspective that we've been groomed to kind of learn and understand what aliens are. But maybe here's a, uh, another one. The physicist that's devoted the most time to studying UFOs is Jacques Vallée. He's a French astrophysicist. He has spent 60 years studying the UFO phenomena. He's basically devoted his entire life to studying the UFO phenomena. I've read his books. What he reports is credible. He's the one that studied the database to the greatest extent. Uh, but his conclusion is, and he's not a Christian, he's not even a theist, but he says if what we're dealing with is interdimensional phenomena. This is phenomena coming from dimensions beyond the space-time dimensions of the universe. He says they're real beings, but they're not part of our dimensions. They're not subject to our laws of physics. And I think, again, he's not a theist, he's not a Christian, but I agree with him. We are dealing with an interdimensional phenomena. We're dealing with beings that are not subject to our laws of physics. But when you read the Bible, it tells us that God created two distinct species of intelligent life. Human beings that are constrained by the space-time dimensions of the universe and the laws of physics that govern the universe. And then there are angels that are not subject to our space-time dimensions and are not subject uh, to our laws of physics. And uh, they can come into our realm. We cannot go into their realm. So kind of something interesting to think about. Now, you may not believe that, and you may want to debunk that. That's fine. But if you think about it, what is an alien anyways? If it's coming from someplace out there, as if you believe in Little Green Men, for example, it's coming from someplace, right? Maybe not in our galaxy. Maybe not even in our universe. But here, here Ross is talking about an astrophysicist who studied for 40 years all the databases and everything, not a believer, not an atheist, doesn't believe in any type of religion or God or anything. And he suggested that they were interdimensional beings, beings that aren't subject to our laws of physics that can bounce in and out of our realm. So apparently the space-time continuum exists and there are intelligent beings created by God, angels, that can bounce in and out of our realm. Now, we as humans are intelligent beings, but we're bound by the laws of physics, so we can't do that. So it's kind of interesting, something to think about. You know, here we have a phenomenon that no one can explain. In fact, we have Capitol Hill hearings about UFOs. But we also have 
nothing concrete that we can say that with absolute that it is this or that. So we think of the stereotypical alien movies or, you know, space invaders that are coming here, whatever your thoughts are of aliens, but perhaps maybe these things are angels and maybe they're there for a purpose. And he goes on in a much longer uh, conversation and talks about how we entertain angels. We may or may not know it. And there's a lot of people, and I don't want to get too deep down, but there's a lot of people that think, whether they believe or not, that they have a guardian angel or maybe angels have visited them and helped them or whatever. So is it not plausible to think that's a possibility? That what you're seeing out there is not, in fact, little green men with superior intelligence that are going to come to conquer us, eat us, or take us off into space and do some experiments on us, but in fact are angelic beings that are appearing for whatever reason, bouncing in and out of our realm. And maybe that's why you see a lot of different things that can't be explained. Maybe that's why you see a lot of pilots see things that they can't explain. Movement in a non-laws of physics way, because we are bound by physics, but angels are not. Something to consider. So if you're out there and you're seeking the truth, the truth is out there. Well, yeah, the truth is out there. It just depends on where do you want to find truth. Do you want to find truth in Roswell, New Mexico? Do you want to find truth in the halls of colleges and universities? Do you want to find truth in the halls of religion? Whatever your religious beliefs might be, that's fine. You can search that out and check it out. But perhaps as you think about the UFOs and the aliens and you hear all the stuff that's going on, Perhaps one of the things that you can consider, instead of it being a negative thing, perhaps it's angels that are popping up in and out of our realm for whatever reason. And wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't you rather have angels popping in and out of our realm, intelligent beings created by God, instead of some other nefarious entity coming to use us as lab rats? But again, as you think about it too, you know, we talked earlier, the treasure on your heart that comes out can be good or evil. And whatever's on your heart through the mind, your thoughts become actions. It's the same way with thoughts on things like this. Do we want to look at the negative and think on the negative? Or perhaps is there a positive to it? Even though we can't prove it either way, it's a, it's a faith, it's a belief system. I believe in UFOs. Okay, good for you. I believe in good, little green men. Okay, good for you. Can you prove it? No. Well, okay, well, that's fine. Believe it. And I'll have conversations with it, with you about it. I don't mind. It's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting to talk about it, right? Could it be angels? Could be. Can you prove it? No. No more than you can prove little green men. But it could be a possibility and something to think about. So as you listen to people talk about UFOs and little green men and all these different things that you hear. Keep in mind that there could be an intelligent life force out there that was created by God that is not bound by the laws of physics like we are, that come and go for whatever reason, but you know they're good. There's also a flip side to this too. Obviously, when there's good, there's bad. And so they also touch on the negative aspects of it, that there could be some demonic things going on, but... 
that's probably a conversation for another time. So, again, there's a lot more to it. But I just thought this one perspective on aliens and what it could be to present to you to make you think about it. Because, again, where there's good, there's bad. Where there's light, there's dark. Where it's wet, there's dry. There's always opposites, right? Equal and opposite forces. And so they do delve into maybe some of the negative aspects of what could be out there. But I want to focus on the positive and give you an alternative, a positive alternative to the little green men theory that you might be hearing. So just kind of keep that in mind and something to ponder as you might hear more and more about this. And then, of course, the conspiracy theorists in politics think that the UFOs is a distraction to the other things going on. So you take what it is. But just know the saying, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Perhaps this is one of those glories that the heavens are declaring. So the New York Yankees have long been known as the top franchise in the history of baseball. Well, let's take a look at it and see if that's still true, or is this a team that is relying on their history? So the Yankees are a team that have won 27 world championships. That's a lot. They played in 40 World Series. Pretty good, huh? Let's compare that to the Mariners. The Mariners, the only team that has never competed in a World Series game. Or how about compare it to the Padres, the Rangers, uh, the Rangers from Texas, the Rays, the Brewers, the Rockies. They've all made it to at least one World Series, but have never won it. So 27 World Championships and 40 World Series appearances. So now the Yankees' first appearance in a World Series was 1921. They lost to the New York Giants. New York Giants are a significant team that we'll get to in a minute. Ultimately became the San Francisco Giants. By 1962, the Yankees were 20-7 and seven in, in a World Series. Okay, so that was 1962. Won 20 out of 27 that they were in. So that's what, 41 years? So in 41 years, they went to 27 World Series. And in fact, if you include 63 and 64, in which they lost, you're looking at about, what, 23 years, they went to 20, 43 years, 29 World Series. Math, I'm not big at math. So 43 years, 29 World Series. That's pretty significant. That's pretty awesome, in fact. So by 1964, the Yankees appeared in 29 World Series within that kind of 40, 43-year time frame. But then here's where it changes, and this is why I ask, are the Yankees still the greatest franchise currently? From 1964 to 2000, they've only played in 10 World Series. Another 40 years, and that's dropped to 10. And then in the last 20 years, they've only appeared in one. So in 76, they lost. 77, 78 be the Dodgers. Lost to the Dodgers in 81. And so by the end of 81, they were in 33 World Series total, but only four since 1962. 
They won in 1996. Of course, they had that great run in the 90s with Derek Jeter and all of them. Then 98, 99, 2000, they won the three-peat. They lost in 2001 and 2003. And then their last appearance since 2003 was in 2009 when they won. So they've appeared in seven since 1981 and only one in the last 20 years. So again, I ask you baseball fans, Yankee fans, do you still claim that you are the greatest franchise today? Since 2001, the Red Sox, they've won four titles. They're 4-0. San Francisco, they've won three titles. Houston Astros, they've won two titles and four appearances since 2017. Cardinals, two titles and four appearances. And the Braves, they went one and five in the 90s. Imagine what they could have been like if it wasn't for teams like the Minnesota Twins beating them in 91. But so again, you take a look at the Yankees franchise, and I started this conversation because I started posting some video clips of old baseball teams, like highlights of baseball players and significant moments, whether it be like a game-winning home run like Kirk Gibson in the 88 World Series with that dramatic home run. Or maybe it was a brawl between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Or maybe it was, you know, some milestone, a player hitting 500 home runs, 600 home runs. Roger Maris hitting 61. So I started posting these videos, and it was very interesting because a lot of people started to chat about them and put messages and then go back and forth. And it was fun to, to see di- different perspectives of different people. But again, the Yankee fans on there continue to claim that the Yankees are the best franchise today. Now, I'll give you this. They're the most historic. But are they resting on a history that ended in 1964? I mean, think about the golden years, okay? So there was a consensus of eight New York Post writers, okay? Eight New York Post writers that write. And they did a consensus. These are the top 15-ish best Yankee players of all time. In no particular order, but I broke them down by kind of eras, okay? So obviously, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Berra, and Whitey Ford were on the list. They came from the golden years, 64 and earlier. The 70s had Don Mattingly. More modern day had Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, and Aaron Judge. They've clumped him in there, as they should. And then after that, So that's about 10. So then the the other five that they filled out to make 15, which I don't know why they made 15, but again, a consensus of eight riders had those 10 in their list in different orders. They ordered them one through 15, but they were all in there. And then you had someone like a Reggie Jackson, maybe a Bernie Williams, you know, they threw some kind of, some of those players in there. Um, Reggie Jackson wasn't a longtime Yankee. He played with some other teams like the Angels and the A's, but they threw some of those, sprinkled those players type of players in there. But when you take a look at it, a majority of the players, and there's some older team, uh, older players too that they would throw in there as well, but a lot of them came from that golden era of Yankee baseball. Even today, when you talk about Yankees and the greats, yeah, you got Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Aaron Judge will be one, but you're talking about Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra, that era. In fact, Roger Maris wasn't even mentioned 
And he was just known for that season of hitting 61 home runs, right? So the Yankees, are you resting on your laurels? You need to start winning again. So then I dug a little deeper to find some more interesting facts about it. Well, the San Francisco Giants, okay, there was an argument that said the Cincinnati Reds and the Cincinnati Red Stockings are the same team in MLB because there was a, a video someone posted about why the Cincinnati Reds get to have opening day at home every single year. Well, whether the Reds or the Red Stockings are the same team, the club that was in Cincinnati was the first club to have an MLB team. It was, I think, 19, uh, 1869. I think the first season was maybe 71 or something like that. But so the Reds, first franchise in baseball historically. Over that time, in fact, they have their first MLB season as 1882 on here, but I think that's incorrect, but whatever. So since 1882, the Reds have 10,804 victories in their esteemed career, about 500. Actually, they're having a good year this year. They're actually fun to watch. Playing the Dodgers currently as of this broadcast, so it's been going to be a fun series. But when you take a look at the overall victories, you've got the San Francisco Giants. I mentioned the New York Giants beating the Yankees in the 1921 World Series, the first appearance. The Giants have 11,414 franchise wins, sitting at about 54% uh, winning percentage. The Dodgers, Brooklyn and L.A., 11,270 wins, winning percentage of 53%. And they have the Cubs, then the Cardinals. And then you have the Yankees with 10,639 wins since 1903. But the Yankees do have the best winning percentage. They've won about 57% of their games. Okay, so now what's the point of that? Well, we take that winning percentage. Yeah, the Yankees have a little bit of a nudge in winning percentage. They have not as many wins as some other clubs, but they are iconic. They're the first team to have numbers on the back of their jerseys. Do you know what the numbers stood for? Why was Babe Ruth number three? Any significance to that? It's because he hit third in the lineup. The numbers on the back of the jerseys indicated where you hit in the lineup. And so that's why they have numbers. So Babe Ruth was number three because... He hit third in the lineup. So, yeah, the Yankees and then their pinstripe and their uniform. So, yeah, the Yankees are an iconic team that have done a lot over the years. Good, bad, and ugly. They've had some characters. Billy Martin, the manager, quite the character. And then, of course, you've had some other players that have come and gone throughout the years that have been a part of the Yankee teams. And they've had some dynasty years. They've had some solid years. But are they the same team that they were many years ago when they were winning and playing in World Series after World Series after World Series. By 1964, they had appeared in 29 World Series within a 40-year time frame. That's pretty good. That's almost like every year. So I'll let you guys debate that and argue that and figure out if the Yankees are still the greatest team. But I think that um, probably not. I think baseball is evened out, which makes it fun, makes it exciting. 
that baseball has evened out. The only sad thing is, is that every year your favorite team could have a new lineup. I remember growing up to the days of, of L.A. with Steve Garvey at first. You had Ron Say, the Penguin, over at third. Davey Lopes at second. Bill Russell at short. It started out with uh, Steve Yeager behind the play, and then Mike Sosha took over. And then you had Dusty Baker out in left field. Then you had people like Rick Monday and Reggie Smith in the outfield and Kenny Landro coming in and some others. Every year is the same crop of people. And then the opposing team always had the same people. So you had rivalry. You had rivalry within the teams because you faced each other at the same time. The Reds, you always had like Davey Concepcion, Johnny Bench. Pete Rose kind of bounced around a little bit. You had Dave Parker. Remember him with the more of the, the Pirates. Bill Madlock with the Pirates. So you had the same teams playing each other. Now they could be enemies one year. Johnny Damon's with the Red Sox. Now he's with the Yankees. Kind of breaks down that rivalry thing a little bit. Now everybody's playing for the money. But now that baseball is somewhat evened off, nobody, like I said, the Red Sox have four championships since 2004. That's the most. I think the Nationals, they won recently with the oldest team in baseball, right? Age-wise. And so you're starting to see a lot of different things. Even the Astros kind of running the American League, but not winning the World Series and being dominant, like you see in college football, right? Or even back when the um, Yankees, you know, they lost to, was it the Indians one time, or maybe it was the Marlins when they were expected to win. So it's good to see that baseball has gotten to the point where there's a little bit more parity. You've got teams like the Reds this year doing well. The Marlins were doing well. Orioles are doing good, along with the Rays, so... It's going to be interesting. How about the Diamondbacks in Arizona doing quite well in the uh, West, nationally West? So it's fun, but I ask you the question, and I'll let you guys debate it. Are the Yankees still the greatest franchise today, or are they resting on their laurels and relying on history to make that determination? This is Two Steps Ed Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Hey, check out our website at RadioWarp.com. That's Radio, W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. Just go ahead and click on the uh, Two Steps Ahead podcast logo. And if you do, all of our videos will pop up. You press on one of the videos, it'll take you to our Rumble page. But all our videos are there on our website, so you can scroll through, and you can also uh, listen to other episodes. There will be an orange banner that kind of runs across the page. If you click on that, it takes you to our SoundCloud account, which is the audio version. You can download the audio version and take it with you on the go. You can listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, too, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia. You can also, hey, Surrey, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, play TWO, Two Steps Head Podcast, and our episode pops up. Check us out on Instagram at TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. And uh, you can check out video clips and other things there. And then, like I said, if you can't find us anywhere, just go ahead and internet search us, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we will pop up. Hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Take your passion. Make it happen. Let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Until next time. God bless.